Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Book report week. Can't wait. We're going to dive into books. Um, also going to talk about Britney Spears, which is just like, uh, like has to be uh, acknowledged, but is, is uh, not fun, but we'll discuss it. Uh, Armist updates back. Quick check in there. And then let's talk about Chrissy Teigen and John Legend's real estate uh, endeavors, both as viewers and as sellers and as purchasers. There's so much to discuss. But first, let's discuss books. Amanda, what have you been reading? Wow, we're starting off with the books. I didn't even expect yeah. that. Let's okay. do it. Um, Fast forward I, if you don't want to hear about books, people. I've been reading a lot of things. I was told I had to cut down my list immediately before this podcast, which is fine. That's true. It is not Amanda's book report. It's a collective effort. I did read a lot of books on vacation, and I enjoyed most of them. I do a thing. I don't know whether you do this, Juliet, where like, starting in May or June, when there is that big release of like summer-ish reading, I start kind of stockpiling books for vacation. And, you know, and like some of them are on my Kindle and some of them are real books, but I'm just like, I will save this until like the blissful week when I have all my prime reading ready. And that like usually goes pretty well. Like occasionally there is one or two that I'm not as into, but that's why you save a bunch. Anyway, this year went pretty well. Some of the books that I would recommend, the first, which I, Juliet, you and I already talked about, uh, is called Exciting Times by yes. Nusha Dolan, who this is dismissive, but also fairly accurate to say she's like the funny Sally Rooney. And I don't want to dismiss her novel, which I thought was excellent and is kind of like a buzzy novel right now and um, stands on its own world. But she is an Irish uh, young woman novelist who is like of the Sally Rooney literary Irish sphere. And I believe like some of her work had been published in like a Sally Rooney journal journal. Like they are somewhat affiliated. And the book is also about a young Irish woman who winds up in a love triangle. So you'll see some of the similarities. I think that it, it, it has a different worldview. It's set in Hong Kong. And honestly, one of the funniest books I've read this year in a very like dry way, while also being very emotional and deals with a lot of issues and deals with um, sociopolitical issues as well. But there's one line, there was a very great Mitford joke that I was like, well, nice. now, now, now I'm sold. Um, I really recommend this book. It is also a book that if you are looking for like a, a two day reading commitment to just kind of lose yourself, you can do this as well. Okay, great. How do you feel about reading a buzzy book during its buzz? I enjoy it. I mean, right now, especially, I feel like in everything that I'm consuming, we talk so much about the loss of monoculture. And so um, there aren't that many things where I can be a part of like a community anymore consuming something. And frankly, you know me, there aren't that many things where I want to be part of a community and like (laughs) have something and then be like, now I want to know what everybody has to say. And I want to have a lot of opinions and like be a joiner. It's not really my vibe, but I do like um, reading a book and then talking with people about it as evidenced by like the insanely long list of books that I made to uh, present to you today. (laughs) So, uh, so I enjoy it. It's, it's fun to kind of know what people are talking about. And also there's something about if it's a buzzy novel, it's still really hard for people to completely digest or like 
get to every part of a, a novel in the discourse. You know, you can sure. still save a part of the experience for yourself, but also share it with some other people. So that's good for my wavelength. Okay. Um, okay. Because sometimes I like, obviously I'm like excited about a book, but I'm like, ah, I think I'll wait a minute to read this. Like I waited several years to read Welcome to the Goon Squad, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like, there's a little bit too much chatter about this right now. I don't want to be involved, but I'd like to know about this book. So I'll, I'll like save it and come back to it like two years later. I feel like that happens to me a lot. Yeah. And I understand that. I do think also I find myself seeking out the buzzy books that are um, buzzy female authors or bu- buzzy authors of color, or they are buzzy authors that are um, maybe not outside, but are newer to the like quote traditional quote establishment quote literary canon which has always been like predominantly white males and I'm like more resistant to you know here's the new book by the author who's been writing for like 45 years that you had to read in yeah in high school but um this new exciting voice that everyone wants to talk about like great I want to talk about it too right yeah no Um, I I, and obviously obviously we really enjoyed being part of the Sally Rooney wave at at the beginning um I read for a good chunk of my vacation real life by brad taylor which came to me via a vulture best books of the year so far list that i was served on instagram so great job instagram and targeting me um (laughs) and it is an academic novel about a a gay man who works in a lab at a midwestern university on a lake they don't specify which in my head it was the university of wisconsin because that's on a lake I, I don't know if that's correct though. He's from, and he's from um, the South and he moves there and it's the book is, I was sucked in. Cause it was like about his uh, said campus novel. And I was like, Oh, well then I'm definitely in as a fan of the campus comedy being my favorite genre of book. Uh, this is not a comedy comedy at eight. It is the most sharply written book I've read in a while. The insights into humans and into grief are really acute. And this book is, is about grief through and it's about grief and anger, honestly. And it was like so intense that I felt like really just exhausted at the end of it. But like the writing is marvelous. And I, I think I think that it it really um, is an incredibly insightful book into race relations. So if you know, you're interested in continuing to learn more and participate in the conversations about race that are happening, I, I definitely recommend it. It's like a really intense read, though. So uh yeah, it was just it was just a lot. It's the book has I, I've now seen has like ended up on a lot of lists. So I'm I'm um certainly not the only person reading this. Certainly everyone from Vulture is. But uh, yeah, it was it was like incredibly impressive. It was a debut novel. Like I'm really excited to see what Brad Taylor's career turns into. I was really like felled by this book, I would say. It was just like really impressive and impressively intense. So funny because I believe I read the exact same Vulture post and I saw the two words campus novel and I was like, <laughs> oh, great. This is going to be a great Juliet book. Um, and, you know, I think it's also it's cool that the genre of campus novel is also being expanded. Right? Hell yeah. And that, yes. And that there are different like you as an enthusiast deserve that and that it can like, contain, contain <laughs> multitudes. Um, so totally. I'm definitely I'm putting that on my list. It's really um, good. I, it's honestly um we'll get to it in a second, but like, I, I also read right before I read vanishing half and re- reading them together was a really good like study. So we can come back to that since I, you read that earlier in the summer, your turn, Amanda. 
Okay. I since since you just talked about a novel about grief, I also read a novel that is in part about grief. It's called uh Writers and Lovers, uh mm. written by Lily King, who wrote Euphoria, which was a great book that came out a few years ago that I recommend. And this is without spoilers, it starts with the um the protagonist's uh, loss of her mother. Her mother dies recently. And 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 it's really it's about grief and it's also about finding your way out of grief as well and 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 about writing and and about relationships. I, it, it's really lovely. Um, it's another book that if you kind of sit down, you can kind of consume it in a day or two. And I read this on vacation and like very got very lost in the world and um, was kind of wrecked by it as well. There is something about the immediacy of um, the em- emotions that she is able to convey to you. Without like, it's not, it's not very obvious. I mean, she's just kind of telling you what happened, but there's just like this evocation of this, this grief and loss that I was just kind of walloped by. Mm. Um, And then, and, and ultimately redeemed by, because this character does like, not redeemed by, but kind of like you invest in this character and they go, she goes on a journey and you really can like feel the emotions, which, which I thought was really lovely. I don't always feel that sense of immediacy of the emotional experience in a novel. So, um, and it's also, you know, it's set in Cambridge in the late nineties and she also, it's not quite a love triangle, but there are lots of dates. It's, it, it has like, it's accessible while also being, um, really evocative. So I recommend that one. How sad was it? I, I like found it really, both sad and happy, but like bittersweet isn't quite the right um, word because bittersweet to me connotes like the end of something. And I guess this is like, she's, she's mourning, but it is about um, not starting over, but like the next chapter and finding your way past something. How about that? So Mm. there, there's like hope in that and, and forward momentum, um, but also a sense of longing. I, I really thought it was very beautiful. Um, but like, I definitely was crying multiple times through it. Like my husband like <laughs> went to play golf for a couple hours and I was reading this book and he came home and just kind of like found me in a weepy mess. And he was like, I don't know what happened here. Like you were fine when I left. So I I guess maybe I was just like open to that particular emotional experience on that day also. I don't know. Okay. That sounds like a great experience, to be honest. Great it was nice. experience. It was yeah. immersive for sure. Yeah. That sounds lovely. Um, let's discuss the vanishing half, which you previously recommended okay. back yes. in June or July. So per your recommendation, I read it. Since then, it has been optioned by HBO in like kind of one of those stories that used to happen like a lot more around the year 2006 about like wild auction for a book that's been optioned. And I miss those days of like this book is going is like, you know, it's a barn burner. I'm excited for the writer Britt Bennett. Um, and it's about twin sisters, one of whom chooses to pass as white and the other who does not. Um, and the it's it's like a really immersive read. One thing that I thought was great about it that I wasn't expecting because I really knew very little about it other than what you told me. Great Los Angeles in the 70s and 80s novel. I love that part of it. Yeah, I was about to say it. I think it'll make a, I loved it as a novel and it'll make a great miniseries for a lot of reasons. One of them is it's set in so many different places. It starts in this sort of magical realist town in Louisiana, Louisiana. and I believe the sixties. And then there is a, is is it Boston where the character moves? And then it is in LA in the sixties and the seventies. And also the 
the 80s, right? Because yes, yeah, there's like a yeah. So I mean, it's just there are a lot of like places and eras and times in American history. It's um, it's really there's a there's both character and nuance, but also like plot and place and scene. And it felt like not just a whole other world, but several other worlds that you got to um, to visit, which which is very exciting for a novel and also makes for a great HBO series. Um, should we do a little casting? Oh, have you sure. Thought, have you thought about this? I haven't thought about this at all. You know, I'm really bad at casting. I am too. Also, like, you know, this book is about skin color and appearance and race. And so I think that, like, actually, like, I retract my suggestion because I think that it actually is not even just, like, a fun, like, horse race of, like, ooh, who's going to get it? But it's also, like, it's so it will be such deliberate casting just based on how deliberate the book is and how um, specific. And and I think, like, one thing that's so great about the book is how it makes explicit many of many themes related to gender and and race that mm-hmm. other other books and just like other conversations are not able to make familiar or like uh penetrable i guess or accessible is the word i guess I, and so i'm like looking forward to see how they do that but i will just say like in my head the um the one of the husbands i was thinking of for this show or in this book was Tate Donovan, which like he'll definitely be too old by the time. But like that's like <laughs> I was thinking of like a that's Jimmy like Coop- the vibe, a Jimmy Cooper, yeah, uh, Joshua type for one of the characters. But I, I think it's a, uh, I'm excited about it. It will be a really good miniseries. Yeah, I wonder if this is a. I, I'm very curious to see how they cast it, and it, as you mentioned, like it requires a certain a, a deliberateness, and you know, I I trust that they will have the right people in this place to really think this through but it does seem to me like this it it could be interesting to have someone who is not already famous in totally in the main role you also have to assume that it'll be because it's twins it'll be one um actress playing both characters though i I mean it has to be i i think because like it does so much of the book both literally and thematically uh depends on twinning the interchange of like the interchangeability and twinning and reflections and, and, and what you see and what you share. So um, I, I think that having someone who we don't know and don't already have a preconceived um, like a relationship with will kind of develop a lot of those themes. But, you know, on the other side, it could be very interesting to have someone that we do know and have like one type of relationship with and one understanding of, exploring another I don't know I it'll be interesting I'm curious I'm fascinated to see what they do and also I'm very bad at casting as previously mentioned so (laughs) all right what's next what is next okay I'm gonna do uh Sex and Vanity which is the novel by Kevin Kwan and is who wrote Crazy Rich Asians the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy and it's straight up just a room with a view but set in the international jet set oh, community that right now. That sounds great. Like they, they don't even, they use the names. It's Lucy and Charlotte and like Mr. Oh, Beeb. It's just fantastic. like going and George, like going for it. And I'll tell you, I went from reading uh, writers and lovers, which was very emotional to reading sex and vanity, which was just a room with a view and um, great stuff. Then it inspired, we, we drove on vacation. Like um, a lot of people are doing this year. And so, we listened to uh, Howard Zen on a book on tape on the drive back going down the five because there's nothing else to do. So I guess I'm doing a lot of Forster right now. 
nice. in its Howard's various ends, ways. One of, my, one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it was great on audiobook. Anyway. Who, who read it? I don't remember, honestly. It wasn't voice someone. Actors, like multiple voices? No, just just one person. I do like kind of a radio play situation. That mm-hmm. There are some BBC Agatha Christie radio plays that I listened to as a child that you can find on 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 Spotify or um, on Libby, by the way, Libby has all of them, but they were checked out on Libby because I was not it. the only person. Uh, those are on in demand this season, I guess, the season of road trips. But yeah, this was just someone reading the novel. Still very good. Great. Okay. Um, I read the latest Zadie Smith collection. Did you read that? Oh yeah, I haven't read it yet. I meant to. It's called Intimations. It's slight. Okay. It's um, it's lovely. I wouldn't say it has the force of the best Zadie Smith essays. Like, you know, it's it's no uh, um, Fences, a Brexit diary, which she wrote right after Brexit. It's not the sort of it doesn't like just kind of like knock you over the way, the way she's capable of with essays. That said, it's incredible to read like one of the greatest living essayists try to process in real time like what we're all living through with COVID. And, um, I, I definitely recommend it. I mean, I, since this started, I've been very invested personally in like, how will this be narrativized? Like, how will this story be told? How will it compare to 9-11, et cetera? So like, I'm grateful to Zadie Smith for, for doing the work early on, even if it's not like the best of her work, I think in some ways it'll be like among the more important because it's just like the writing about COVID during COVID will be a whole new subgenre, And then there'll be like, obviously years and years and years of books across so many different, um, genres about like have like a COVID plotline or influence or whatnot. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it's really just kind of like incredibly poignant to, uh, get someone else's account. And I'm such a, you know, fanatic fan of hers that, it was just uh, exciting to like have a window into how she was processing it. So I recommend it. I started it sitting on a bench on the street that was like fairly empty, though it was summer and not that late. And it felt like really apt. So <laughs> I recommend it. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's uh, it won't it won't take you too long. Yeah, no, it's on my list. They, so they were all written since March, right? Yeah, that's my yeah. understanding of it. Yeah, it's almost I mean, it's like a primary source document. Yes. for future generations, but written by Zadie Smith, who in terms of people who I would want to write a primary source document, pretty high on the list. I would like to start. Yeah. If I was like looking for a founding, um, a, a founder for a new nation to like write some original documents, I would definitely ask Zadie Smith to like <laughs> be our, our wordsmith. That's like the number one Juliet sentence in a like host <laughs> of Juliet sentences. Just like going straight to if we like, we, if we need like a philosophical expression of ideals, then I would have Zadie Smith write them. I do know that about you, but um, <laughs> like I would have known that even if, if if someone was like Juliet is founding a, a nation state and she needs someone to write the Constitution who should write it. I would know that the answer is Zadie Smith. 100%. But it's like it's very funny that you volunteered that uh, experience <laughs> that I that's great. That's good that we're all finding ourselves during the summer. Your turn. Um, my last is that I am reading The Mirror and the Light, which is the third book in Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall trilogy and nice. was long listed for the Booker Prize, I think. And the first two won the Booker Prize. So she's going for the triple crown, I guess. Um, 
it is, it's the longest. It's 700 pages long. And I, this one, I started at the end of vacation. I don't know about you, but I like to start one book that I'm not going to be able to finish. So I have like some of vacation to bring home mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did I, that. I always overshoot like yeah. to start a book while I'm on vacation or whatever, but yes, I totally. Yeah. And you know, I, I talked about this a little bit when reading Wolf Hall, which I did at the beginning of the pandemic and which I think is still my favorite of the three uh, of the three books just because the amount of like imagination involved in the in the first book and you're meeting this character for the first time and she's kind of laying out the themes and there is that experience of like well I didn't even know you could do this uh but also it's a great novel so but there were elements of Wolf Hall you know there is the the plague in that era and I've um, a lot of people have been revisiting this. I believe uh, Gia Tolentino wrote a piece at the New Yorker about kind of reading Wolf Hall in this moment. And I am, I don't want to spoil history for people, but let me just say mirror in the light at this point, I'm at the thing, I'm at the point where things fall apart <laughs> um, uh, politically as well as in all of the the other ways that things tended to fall apart in the 16th century in the, in England. And it, also does feel a little apt right now Mm. and um it's interesting and it's interesting to be reading like a psychological profile of of this person but also kind of this creation of state and ideals and then it it not it kind of disintegrating so uh, i i I think these are astonishing books there it's definitely like 700 pages of people being like Pretty sir to the something. So, you know, it might not be for everybody, but uh Hillary Mantel, she knows what it what it's about. Um, my mom talks about Oliver Cromwell like he's a friend based on the Hillary Mantel okay. books. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Oliver or Thomas? Sorry, Thomas Cromwell. Well, I was just gonna say there are so many Cromwells and so many people in these damn books that like <laughs> that she I mean, she literally just lists all the characters at the beginning and you do find yourself flipping back and forth. So I was like, there could be an Oliver and I wouldn't know. There probably <laughs> is. Um yeah, it's so interesting. And I mean, the thing about Thomas Cromwell in terms of like the way history has been told up until these books is that he is not the quote nice guy. Right. Um and if you watch like A Man for All Seasons, which is a very famous movie from, I believe, the it's 1968, late 60s, um, like about Thomas More and, you know, how we understand the the Reformation and the creation of England, all of these things like Cromwell is is not a good actor, if you will. And so it is really interesting to read this reimagination and. And I don't know. And and interesting to think about like all of the ideas about countries and religion and 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 just political strategy and machinations and why we all do what we do and what we're doing it for. So good book. Okay. I I've been meaning to read them. One day I shall. When you're ready. I wasn't ready for a long time and then I was. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> um my last vacation book was another Amanda recommendation, and it was Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory. Very delightful. Yes. I, re- I really needed a palate cleanser after real life, like badly. Yeah. And Royal Holiday, man, did it deliver. Good stuff. Really, really always love a goring hotel reference. That was exciting. And just very pleasant. I'm now going to read Jasmine Guillory books as palate cleansers after I read really intense or intensely sad books. So Jasmine, I look forward to a long relationship with you. Thank you so much for, for writing these things. 
Yeah, there's just a, it's a nice universe to be in. Very pleasant. You know, very, which very is optimistic. Like, like optimistic and, and thoughtful. And they're like funny, you know, there's attention to detail, but it, it is hard to create a world like that where you're just like, yes, I would like to spend time here. With books that are like often designated as quote unquote chiclet, though that's used as a derogatory term. And I certainly do not mean it that way. I love books that are chiclet very frequently. Um, I had a, just a, I had a great day when I read one day that book that became a movie with Anne Hathaway. Um, oh as you know, I had I, I had a big Jojo Moyes phase at the beginning of the aughts and yeah. mid, mid beginning to mid. I've moved away from Jojo Moyes, though I still think she does great work. Um, and now I just feel like I, I can just feel I'm going to be in a Jasmine Guillory phase. It's kind of like my go to like when I just need a fun read, something that's a little bit lighter. So I'm just ha- happy to have her in my world. And Amanda, what are you going to read next after you wrap this book? I have three light reads. You really set me up well. So I haven't read these. So I don't know that much about them. First up is, and actually, I don't, I think I consider such a fun age a light read just because there is fun in the title. But I heard is, that book is good. Yeah, it's um, such a fun age by Kylie Reed. And I should note that it was also long listed for the Booker Prize. So I don't want to, number one, a fun or a lighter read is just in no means a, a neg in my book. That is like the, honestly, the biggest praise I can give something. But I think I just assumed that fun corresponded to fun, but we'll see. Uh, I am also going to read The Guest List by Lucy Foley, which is the kind of Reese Witherspoon endorsed, um, I believe it's a murder mystery, uh, sort of nice. updated Agatha Christie. That's all I know. So, but it's, people will know that that's in my wheelhouse. So I'm trying to not spoil myself uh, any further. And then I also have Last Hang Standing by Lauren Ho, which the, I'm just The blurb is Bridget Jones meets Crazy Rich Agents. Oh, so great. then I bought it because those are also my interests. Um, so I'm excited. That sounds great. Um, I'm going back into the, the, the intense dome and I'm going to read the David Mitchell new book that came out oh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. I, my, my happiest summer of reading was the summer after I graduated from college and I read back to back Cloud Atlas followed by Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, the Juno Diaz book. Mm-hmm. And um, I fucking love Black Swan Green. It is by far my favorite David Mitchell book. It's one of my favorite books ever. And so I, I just like, I like his work. I, you know, I just, I, I just do. Um, it's my most sad literary bro tendency. Um, but here here I am. And I'm, I'm excited. I think David Mitchell is like a very like warm soul, like and his warmth comes through in his books. Have you read Black Swan Green? I haven't, you know, oh, I'm Amanda, you'd love I it. I, so I was about to tell you uh, like a great David Mitchell story. So I'm not a huge, I just have never gotten into David Mitchell though. Maybe I will try, but Zach, um, is a huge David Mitchell person as is my dad. So, um, we on vacation went to the local bookstore that had just like a great COVID protocol, down they had the hand sanitizer and the 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 gloves actually if you wanted those and everything was like distance and it was very comfortable and like being back in a bookstore and feeling safe was just um tremendously exciting so Zach decided to buy the um the new David Mitchell book and I I took all the books to check out because you know we're not trying to overload the counter with the number of people 
And the lovely woman at the bookstore was so excited that I was buying the David Mitchell book. And she was like, this is the best book that I've read this summer. I loved it so much. And I had to be like, yeah, this is my husband's pick, but I'm really (laughs) excited to read The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I promise I read big kid books too. Um, So anyway, booksellers and Juliet agree. David Mitchell. I just love him. I just really do. Uh, I think you'd like Black Swan Green because it's not, it's his least high concept book. And okay. it's just about a kid with a stutter in England. Um, okay. And it's so lovely. Just thinking about it makes me smile and feel you warm inside. You are smiling inside. right now. Yeah, it's I very just... sweet. Yeah, you just lit up. So that's great. All right, I'll I put just, it on the list. I just, it it's on the like, list. it's the best of David Mitchell without any of the genre. So I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's such okay. a lovely, lovely book. Anyway. I'll be reading Utopia Avenue next. I'm excited. It's just a big commitment. His books are often long. Um, Also, if anyone is judging Cloud Atlas based on the film with Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, please don't. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen and one of the best (laughs) reading experiences I've ever had. (laughs) On that note, let's move into some lighter fare, shall we? Well, relatively lighter. Let's talk about Chrissy Teigen and John Legend first. Oh, okay. That's pretty light. We, yeah, um, Britney, Britney Spears will have to couch it between happinesses. So let's, or okay. qu- quasi-happiness. Let's start with Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, who had made a few announcements lately. Number one is that Chrissy Teigen is pregnant with her third child. Congratulations. Um, congrats. She did a long Twitter thread to say that it is not an IVF pregnancy because she also at one point posted herself getting her breast implants removed, which require general anesthesia. So she had to like, she didn't have to, she decided to provide clarity on the timeline of events, which I'm not even going to recount because I think it's kind of irrelevant. I just share those details to say, we've been learning a lot about Chrissy Teigen's like inner or not even inner, like just sort of non-documented life. Although it's documented now. Um, She's pregnant. That's the first announcement. The Mm -hmm. second announcement is that they're selling their house and mm-hmm. they're on the hunt for a new one. And I want to hone in on this last part because I saw the most ridiculous photo paparazzi photos of not only quarantine, but like maybe among the most ridiculous ones of the last like few years. It's photos of the the Chrissy Teigen, John Legend quartet with their nanny. I appreciated the fact that the nanny was in the pictures. I love it when celebrities are honest about bringing childcare with them wherever they may be going. These were intensely staged photos of them house hunting in Los Angeles wearing masks. I don't get it. Amanda, can you explain to me why they announced that they're looking for a new house and um, stage these photographs? Like, I just do not get it. Yeah. So let's talk about the announcement that they're looking for a new house because simultaneously they're looking for a new house and they're selling their old house. And they did a piece. They cooperated in a feature in the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to read the headline to you. Chrissy Teigen and John Legend list Beverly Hills home for twenty three point nine five million dollars. Now, I clicked on this link thinking it was another like kind of real estate aggregation. Sure. You know, this is the house. It's been listed. We know it's theirs because of like public whatever. You can like look at the house. Um, And, you know, uh, this is what I do. We all have our vices. This is mine. And it it is sort of that, but it is definitely featuring interview, features an interview with uh, John Legend about the house and why they're selling it. And it is basically a real estate ad 
featuring John Legend and Chrissy Teigen presented as like journalism in the Wall Street Journal. No, listen, I'm I'm not going to go into ethics and journalism and all this stuff because like who really cares? It's at at some point we're like looking at slip pictures of celebrities, twenty four million dollar homes. Like there there's no ethics anywhere in this. So in some ways it's like better that they're in on the joke. But I thought that I had never seen the directness of this before, of just kind of like yes, our house is for sale. And in order to promote the sale of the house and to promote its value, like here's an interview about it being for sale. You know, there is, we've talked about it before, that kind of long running architectural digest theory. Yeah. That's it. That's in two parts. One, if someone's being featured in architectural digest, that means that they want to sell the home in six months and they're trying to up the value. And also there is like the, I believe it's Ruth Graham from Slate who developed the corollary, which is if it's a couple being featured in architectural digest, they're going to be selling the home because they're about to be divorced. So like this happens all the time. I I am in no way impugning John Legend and Chrissy Teigen. And in fact, like, I think it's kind of, I, I admire the transparency. They're just like, here it is. This it's for sale. And this is how much it is. And this is what we like about it. And if you would like to buy a piece of this home or like our celebrity, this is how much it costs. Uh, right. But I just, I didn't know that we were doing it that directly. And, and so that is kind of brings back brings us back to the the staged photos of them looking at homes and and the pregnancy thing which is like we have a tremendous amount of information about these people they are very online and in a lot of ways they are doing what a lot of celebrities do which is like access to their lives and attention in it um which leads to brand sponsorships and money this is like kind of their business but there is a frankness about it that still sometimes like both catches me off guard and that maybe I also slightly admire where they're just like this is how we make money this is what we do this is it this is our lives and our lives are our business and you can you can pay or you cannot and I I like that's true for a lot of celebrities but not always at this kind of level of candidness. I think I'm just confused about why they staged some of this stuff. Like I'm trying to understand what they managed by doing it. Cause the things that they staged were the day that the pre- that John legend put out a music video that the very end revealed that Chrissy Teigen was pregnant. And then they were seen going out for lunch and she was wearing like a very fashion forward outfit um, that included like blazers and bike shorts and that's something that I can never even imagine coming close to in a store, let alone actually wearing. Um, but she looked great. And I was just like, this is weird. I guess they just planned this pregnancy announcement today. Gave gave the photographers what they wanted. They don't have to, like, you know, use long lens cameras because they know where to find them. And here she is looking good. But then I just don't understand the house hunting. Like, clearly they're not going to buy the house that they were seen looking at because they because that would be like an absolute breach of safety and i don't understand like why i guess i just wanted to provide a photo op so they wouldn't get hounded i don't know i just found it so weird i interpreted it as the latter just as like they are to some extent narrativizing their life but they're also like trying to be people and they do seem pretty savvy of like if we do this photo then you know we can maintain this level of privacy i think you know chrissy Teigen has also talked about her struggles with anxiety which i think are a real thing and so maybe being able to control, you'll be able to see it this way and you'll be able to understand it, but then we can do X, Y, Z on our own time. It just is a more sustainable form of this type of celebrity for them. And, you know, and that's something we've been talking about so much. And we were talking about it last week with, 
Ben Affleck and Anna to Armas, and we'll talk about it a little more with Armas updates. And and even honestly, with Brittany, a, a little bit of um, the the demand of being a celebrity and being in the public eye has always been quite harsh and like, and, and ex- asks a lot of people, but especially now it's just kind of constant. So at some point you have to figure out how to, if this is what you're going to do. And if you're going to be the type of people that are like our $24 million home is for sale in the wall street journal, which I, you know, on the one hand, what a sentence. And on the other hand, in some ways we've been doing a version of that forever. I mean, what is architectural digest, but that, you know, um, but you do have to figure out a way to make it livable long-term. Right. And so I guess if like, if you think of the staged photos as their version of like filming an episode of Kardashians, which I know is insane. And I also know rings in its own specter. And I just, I, you made a, a face, which is legitimate um, because there is a certain level of, of knee jerk reaction that we all have to that at this point. But that's how they live their lives. And they make a tremendous amount of money doing it at this point. And You're many right. people cop and many people copy it. One thing to their credit that I, I enjoyed is that they're selling their house to like $23 million. And then the house they were seen looking at was like $18 million. So mm-hmm. I liked that they wanted to project that they're looking to save money. I just enjoyed that. You know, whereas like a lot of celebrities would be like, no, like. 23 million look at this 40 million dollar house i can get but it's actually like hard i think it's kind of hard to find stuff in la beyond like 30 million dollars but maybe what do i know i just say that based on selling sunset um let's talk about britney spears so her conservatorship um there was a judgment last week saying that she um basically was like applying suing i don't know what the proper legal language is but trying to get control of her own finances and um like power of attorney back for herself which has been under her father's control for quite some time and that um i think it was an appeal that appeal was denied i believe yeah i think it the so as i understood it her father had to step back from the conservatorship last year for um health reasons at at least that was the the reason given and you know an interesting thing about all this is that there are certain legal documents that we're all aware of but they have been like pretty private about a lot of this so it's guesswork um and then there has been a whole kind of free britney like movement around it um but so someone else was placed in charge of the conservator conservatorship which is a hard word to say um a like a third party i believe yes correct and and I believe that her father was going to reclaim control and Britney Spears filed a motion in order to uh, keep her father from reassuming control. Right. And um, and part of the filing, I believe, was trying to keep a third party in place, but also keep the door open for her to reassume it, uh, control herself at some point. And the... The judgment, it was delayed until February is kind of what I understood. Right. So meanwhile, I saw a page six story that said the ACLU was going to get involved, try to help her. And she's just kind of like getting some attention right now. And I think that is in part because of her very wacky Instagram and the fact that she's also trying to kind of like re, you know, she did her Vegas show for a while, but while that's incredibly public and also high paying, 
doesn't really require much of her as an individual. And I think that she's trying to like reinsert Brittany, the person into the consciousness a little bit. And it's a little hard to understand what's happening with Britney Spears. Cause since the heyday of her pop career, there's just been a, obviously a lot of ups and downs. And in some ways, just a really tragic scene unfolding that we don't know a ton about because all these documents are sealed, but I find her Instagram very unnerving. She kind of talks straight into the camera and like tries to like connect with her fans, talk about things she likes and doesn't like. And it's such, you know, we grew up at a time where Britney Spears was like the er pop star and everything that like a young pop woman would could and and would be was kind of like captured by Britney Spears at a time, at least for like a, two to three years. And so it's very unnerving to see this adult, this mother, um, making these videos that is just sort of like, why are you posting this? Like, this is so unpolished and very strange. And I, I kind of like just can't move on from it. It's so it's so bizarre. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, like the the two pop stars for our generation who kind of summarize the celebrity media experience are Kanye West and and Britney Spears. And for if I can speak for you, Juliet, for the two of us who came of age at the same, we're a bit younger than Britney Spears, but like I was there. Listen, my I remember I went to see NSYNC. Britney Spears was opening for NSYNC. I was like 12. Like I've been on that journey. And I think we were both really consuming tabloid media. I mean, we always have been, but in yeah. like 2005, six, seven, when she was um very much in the spotlight and then had some very public struggles, which I think for me was the first time I was like watching something go really uh, wrong and someone have some really serious problems in the public eye. And it was also being documented in a like pretty new and um, uh, difficult, just difficult to watch and, and certainly uh, exploitative way just because it was the confluence of the internet and the, and the rise of blogs and, and TMZ. And it was really intense. And so for me, she is kind of like the er example of the perils of fame and like, right. you know, what can happen when someone is just kind of not, not equipped to handle like a, a machinery and a situation that is much bigger than them and, and things can go really wrong. And so what's interesting about Brittany now is that she had taken a step back and she was doing the residency, even though I think part of the filing was that she's like trying not to perform anymore, which is, or for the moment anyway, which is interesting because she, it seemed like had found a mode of kind of like, you know, post peak Britney life and was a little less public and is now clearly trying to some of it is that she's just trying to speak to fans the way everyone else speaks to their fans now. Yeah. And that's like an interesting contrast, but for someone who was like both so controlled and so unknowable uh, for such a long time to then have her trying to be relatable and relatable, as you noted in a unique way that I think sets off some sensors for us of prior experience. It's, it's a tricky one. And it's a, and it's a tricky one because again there's like all this information around her. Yeah. And like the and all this information around the conservatorship and like all this and the Instagram stuff which she is definitely posting but all these things that we know but like we know actually very little about the legal arrangement. We actually know very little about Britney Spears's like health and and 
what she's doing on a day-to-day basis right now. Right. Besides, so it's like, it's hard because it's, it's almost like once again, she's like getting a little bit lost in the machine, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, um, it's strange. I would I, check out her Instagram people. Yeah. If you want. Um, lastly, an update to last week's episode. Our Miss Updates back with a new tone. They Right after our pod went up, really, they posted an update to the account saying that they were taking a new tone and that they were going to be more supportive of Anna and less ha- and having less of a, honestly, less of a personality and less of a point of view and just being much more of like a straightforward Stan account, which like, I don't know. I feel it's kind of a bummer, which maybe uh, goes against what I said last week. There is a way to thread the needle to like be funny and have an opinion without being like, let's not use these photos of her in a towel picking up her food. I, I don't know. I find it just to be a, this whole thing. This whole the whole saga of Armis updates is confounding at this point. But also like a great summary of just kind of I just think that no one expected it to to get to this spot. I don't really think anyone expected them to be dating this long. I don't really think Armist Updates expected to be like at the center of an international internet firestorm about Stan (laughs) culture and how we like deal with paparazzi photos. I honestly don't think Armist Updates was like planning to be doing this at this level seven months later. And it's, and it's that same thing of just a little bit, what are the ethics and, you know, what is the information that we're consuming and, and how are we thinking about it? And also just like sustainability. Like this is 100%. Yeah. Like I don't think anyone's equipped for, for the level of uh, moral and ethical debate that was going on either in those comments or, or outside. Yeah. Armis updates, be safe on these internet streets, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling for you. We'll keep, we'll keep checking the account. Um, I think that's it for this week. Amanda, any, any final book notes, you know, just want to throw in? No, I did my best to streamline. You, so were, you, did, you were just like, you did a great five, job, Amanda. It's you just did a five. great job. Okay. And so I tried to focus and not overwhelm people. I do. I love to read. So that's where I am. Reading is good. Reading is good. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>